Well, hey, good morning, everybody. If you would, find your Bibles and open them to Ruth chapter 4. Well, here we are. We are at the end of our time in the book of Ruth. We've come to the finale of this wonderful story of kindness and faithfulness and redemption. And that's actually the, one of the title words for our sermon this morning, the redemption of Ruth and the promise of Christ. We believe as Christians that Jesus is the main character of all the Bible. So in Luke chapter 24 or 27, uh, or maybe it was 27, 24, near the end of the gospel of Luke, Jesus is talking to the disciples on the road to Emmaus and he starts to show them how the Old Testament talks about him uh, or even tells the Pharisees during his earthly ministry that they don't understand the scriptures because if they did, they would understand that the scriptures, the Old Testament was talking about him. Um, Jesus is the main character of the word and that's not any less true in the book of Ruth. But we would need to get through the actual content of Ruth before we see how it points us to Jesus. So in Ruth chapter three, last week, we set up the tension that we're gonna hopefully find resolution for today. Boaz agreed to marry Ruth and step into the role of kinsman redeemer. He would, because of his covenant faithfulness, marry her and take on the responsibility to continue the line of Elimelech. His name will not be forgotten according to Boaz's Faithfulness. Naomi, a widow, will be taken care of in her, uh, in her needs. Uh, but, and there's a quick correction I want to make uh, before we go any further. I, I was listening and thinking about what I taught last week. Uh, and in studying this week, I uh, stand corrected. I told you last week that Ruth was Kilion's wife. That's incorrect. Ruth was Malon's wife. That may not be a big deal, but I wanted to make sure we set the record straight. Uh, but there's a problem Boaz has agreed to do this. Boaz has agreed to be faithful and to marry Ruth and to uh, promise kind of a happy ending to the story. But there's a problem. There's a kinsman redeemer closer in relation to Ruth than Boaz. And we don't know everything about the Leveret marriage customs in that day, but it seems that we can deduce that uh, closer relatives take precedent over relatives who are further away in relation. So Boaz says he'll settle the matter in the morning. And so let's just read a little bit and get situated. Look at Ruth chapter four, starting in verse one. It says, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. He took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. All right, so let's just stop there. Uh, so Boaz is at the gate. He's at the gate of the city. Um, the gate was the place in town where any kind of legal matters would be handled. So when someone wanted to do something serious or settle a dispute or maybe buy or sell some land, they would go to the city gate and they would sit down. So sitting down would be the sign that something serious was about to take place. Uh, Jesus did this often as well. I mean, you read Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. It says, uh, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when his disciples came to him, he sat down and said, and spoke the Sermon on the Mount, right? So uh, serious things took place when people were seated. So when Boaz sat down, we are kind of clued in to know something important is about to happen. And then in the providence of God, it just so happens that the other redeemer passes by the city gate. And this is not like just some random coincidence. This is the Lord at work. Now, 
uh, it says in your translation and in my translation, it just says, the Redeemer came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. That word friend is, is kind of a rough translation of a, a kind of Hebrew idiom. So when, when you and I don't know somebody's name, we might say, uh, well, like so-and-so said, da-da-da-da-da. And it's the same kind of thing. The, the book doesn't even give this other Redeemer a name. It kind of just says, hey, Mr. So-and-so, come over here and sit down. So for our message this morning, uh, the other Redeemer will be kindly referred to as Mr. So-and-so. Uh, so he sits down next to Boaz, and then 10 elders of the city, uh, men of good repute, wise men, elders in the town, uh, were called by Boaz to come and sit down as well. So here we have Boaz, Mr. So-and-so, the other kinsman Redeemer, and 10 faithful witnesses. Something is about to take place. Everyone is here who needs to be here to settle the matter of Ruth and Naomi. So let's pray before we go any further. God in heaven, I'm thankful for these students. I'm thankful for this great opportunity we have to gather together, open up your word, and to learn, to behold the good news of the gospel, to see the, the beauty of redemption and the, the grace that you offer those who have uh, desperate needs that only you can provide for. God, we pray that as we read this story of Ruth and the redemption that she experiences, the blessings that come, and what it points to, I pray that we too could be pointed uh, faithfully to you, to your cross, to your grace, to your love for us, to your faithfulness and kindness. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our focus this morning is redemption. Redemption. To redeem something. We use that word all the time. We sing that, that word redemption or to redeem. I've been redeemed. To redeem something is to bring something back to its original state. So you want like a simple definition of to redeem or redemption. To bring something back to its original state. To free it from any kind of bondage. To, to free it from any kind of uh, uh, different state that it's in. For example, slaves in Ruth's day could earn enough money to pay a ransom price and redeem themselves. To bring them out of slavery into freedom, back to their original state. We understand this a little bit today uh, when we get past uh, COVID time and we can go into concerts and things like that, uh, or in the past, if you've ever been to a concert, if you wanted to go to a concert, you would need to buy a ticket, right? They would sell tickets probably online and you would buy that ticket, you would pay a price, you'd receive a ticket, and then in order to get into the concert, you would bring the ticket with you and you would redeem it. You would bring it back to its original state. So you go in by redeeming the ticket. So there's both a cost to this redemption. You have to pay money to get this ticket. But there's also a kind of blessing for redemption. You get to enjoy, hopefully, a great concert. So when we think about redemption, we think about the costs and the blessings of redemption. Now let's take that overview of what it means to redeem and apply it to our reading this morning of Ruth chapter 4. So if you're taking notes this morning, the first point we'll consider is this. Redemption comes with great cost. Redemption comes with great cost. Ruth and Naomi need the work of a kinsman redeemer in order to be redeemed, but that work is not easy, and it's in fact 
pretty risky. So let's keep reading, starting in verse 3. Then he, that's Boaz, said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. So Boaz basically tells the crowd and Mr. So-and-so that Naomi has some land for sale. Elimelech owns some land. When Naomi came back, she still had that land and she needs to sell it in order to survive. She's a poor widow, but she wants to keep it in the family. Um, There's a very similar story in my own life very recently. Uh, Josh doesn't know this, but we sold a car. I had a car, they needed a car, and I sold them my car. And Josh's rationale with that is, well, we need to buy a car, you're trying to sell a car, and I'd rather pay money to my like, brother than some random person on the internet. Fair enough, right? So they want to keep that asset in the family. In the same way, uh, Naomi wants to keep this land in the family of Elimelech. And so Mr. So-and-so sees this as a great investment opportunity. Here's what happens. Uh, Mr. So-and-so would buy this land from Naomi and be responsible to take care of her. But when she ultimately passes away, the land would become his and part of his estate and there'd be no holds barred. It's just his. Well, this is a great opportunity for Mr. So-and-so. He's going to probably pay a song for this land because Naomi needs it. She's going to be really easy to take care of because she's just an old widow. And he gets this, this plot of land. This is great. So he decides to redeem it. Awesome. Well, this is a problem because it looks like Mr. So-and-so wants the land, which looks like trouble for Ruth because if he buys the land, then Boaz can't be the kinsman redeemer he's promised to be. So let's keep reading. Look at verse five. Then Boaz said, the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So Boaz tells Mr. So-and-so, there's more to it than the land and an old widow you actually have to get married. (laughs) I mean, Boaz was really clever, is the right word, uh, in how he he described and explained Naomi's needs. Ruth the Moabite is a part of his redemption responsibility. Now, we shouldn't get bogged down in the language of acquiring Ruth. It's not like Ruth is a piece of property, okay? So just Let's be, be clear here. In verse 5, that word acquire is the same word translated in Exodus 15 as redeem when Moses sings about God acquiring Israel from slavery in Egypt. So the sense here is literally, I am redeeming this person. I'm redeeming these people. So this great real estate venture just turned quite thorny and costly for Mr. So-and-so. His work as kinsman redeemer now won't be primarily for his sake, or for his profit, but actually for the house of Elimelech and specifically Mahlon. 
Mr. So-and-so would have to become married to Ruth and be responsible for providing for her as well as her mother-in-law. And, and the firstborn that would come from that marriage, that firstborn son, would be the one in the line of Elimelech who would inherit that land. So Mr. So-and-so would basically buy the land to take care of these two people, to have a son, to then give away what he invested his money in. It's not for him anymore, it's for someone else. And so he counts the cost, and like Orpah in Ruth chapter 1, does the thing that seems to make the most sense, he refuses to do it. <coughs> he says, I'm, I'm not going to redeem it, it would be too costly for me, it would impair my own inheritance. So he says to Boaz, you got it, it's all yours. So let's keep reading. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the, elders of, to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Mahlon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahlon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. We'll stop there. The point of this little passage here is, is not just the custom of taking off a sandal and giving it to another person, which probably has kind of the same feel as uh, walking in someone else's shoes. Like you've heard that phrase before. Uh, so, so in giving somebody the sandal, I'm taking their place. I'm standing in their place. That's probably what that meant, kind of a symbolic act. But the point here for us is that Boaz counted the cost that Mr. So-and-so counted and thought that it was worth it. He decided to redeem Ruth and Naomi. Three times in verses 9 through 11, we see the word witnesses. This is a clear public act that Ruth is, that Boaz is doing rather for everyone to see. So why is he doing it? What's, what's driving Boaz? It's not profit, like Mr. So-and-so. And, and it's not even the promise of a future. I mean, we need to remember here, for all we know and for all anybody knows, Ruth is a barren woman. Remember, she was married to Mahlon for 10 years and never had children, which would have been a clear sign that something was very, very wrong in that day. So for all they know, Ruth is barren. She can't have children. So what's going to happen with this whole proposal? What's going to happen here? It's not for profit. It's not for benefit. It's not for just the hope of a future progeny. It's, no, what's underneath everything that Boaz is doing is covenant faithfulness. He's faithful to redeem those in his family. Even at great cost to himself, he does the wise, godly kind thing. So the 10 elders proclaim that they are witnesses to his faithfulness, as well as Ruth and Naomi's new status as wife and mother-in-law. Now, when the cost is paid for redemption, blessing soon follows. We've seen this all throughout the book, right? I mean, Ruth staying with Naomi and being a blessing to her, Ruth gleaning in Boaz's field and he being a blessing to her for her faithfulness, and then 80 some odd pounds of grain last week for Ruth's faithfulness to go and propose to Boaz. But now it will come in its fullness for both Ruth and Naomi. So number two for our sermon this morning, if you're taking notes, 
Not only does redemption come with great cost, but redemption comes with great blessing. Redemption comes with great blessing. The first thing these witnesses will do is invoke a three-part prayer. Look at verse 11, kind of halfway through. It says, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Now stop there. There's three things going on here we need to kind of dive into. First, may the Lord bless Ruth to be like Rachel and Leah. This is really big. I mean, if you remember, Rachel and Leah are the mothers of the 12 tribes of Israel. I mean, it's through their wombs the nation is born. And so these witnesses are saying to Boaz, we want Ruth to be like them. From her, we want something massive to take place. They asked the Lord for Ruth to be that kind of blessed matriarch. And remember, there's no reason to believe that Ruth can have children. And yet these witnesses seeing Ruth as a worthy woman and Boaz as a worthy man, pray for this kind of blessing. Second, they ask that Boaz would be renowned in the area, that he'd be a man of stature. His faithfulness would be noticed in Ephrathah and in Bethlehem, that the elders pray that he would see the fruit of his work and his faithfulness in the third blessing, which is they ask that their house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Now, the story of Tamar and Judah in Genesis 38, we don't have a ton of time to get into. It's actually, uh, there's some similarities and some contrasts, but it's actually a really kind of dark story where Tamar kind of seduces Judah and Judah thinks that she's a prostitute. And it's this weird, weird rendezvous that ends up with, through all of this craziness and sin and wickedness, a son. And that son would be Perez. And in the same way, through unlikely circumstances, these witnesses are asking the Lord to be providential in the giving of offspring, to bless Ruth and Boaz with a child, and that that blessing would count Ruth and Boaz to be in the same kind of category of importance as Leah, Rachel, and Judah. The blessings that come from this redemption are abundant. So let's read verse 13. It spares no time. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life. Literally, he will cause your life to return and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who's more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. Naomi. 
They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So Boaz and Ruth are married. And seemingly immediately, Ruth is pregnant. (laughs) I mean, like for 10 years, at least, there's been this question of, am I able to have children? Am I able to fulfill this desire that I have? Am I able to do these kinds of things? And very quickly, she is pregnant and has a son. But don't overlook who made this happen. Look again at verse 13. And the Lord gave her conception. This is the wonderful work of God, bringing life out of nothing, light out of darkness. And the women moved to say something, not to Ruth. They're not congratulating Ruth, the mother. They go to Naomi and say, this grandson is a redeemer for you. He shall literally cause your life to return. This woman who was left empty and bitter and had nothing decides to turn and to turn and to turn. Remember in Ruth chapter one, over and over and over again, that language was used where she returned to Bethlehem empty. Now this grandson will cause her life to return. And Ruth, more valuable than seven sons, more valuable than a full quiver, a perfect number of male children, Ruth, this daughter who loves her and has shown kindness to her, has blessed her yet again with a son. In Ruth chapter two, a redeemer provides for Ruth to bring back a gleaning of grain for Naomi. In Ruth chapter three, this redeemer provides for Ruth to bring 80-something pounds of grain to Naomi. And now in Ruth chapter four, the redeemer and the redeemer behind that redeemer provides for Ruth to bring a baby boy to Naomi, the one who lost her own two sons, the one who lost her husband, this bitter woman who has now returned to her original name, Naomi, which means pleasant one. The one who has been emptied has been filled to abundance by God's blessing. And what was that boy's name? His name was Obed, which means worshiper. He would grow up to have a son named Jesse, and Jesse would grow up to have a son of his own named David. And we know David as the king of Israel, the one who worshiped God, the one who sang songs to him, the man after God's own heart. This story that began with the bleak picture, this bleak introduction of Israel during the time of the judges where everyone was doing right in their own eyes. There was no king in Israel and therefore wickedness was running rampant. And they were in the midst of a great famine where they were emptied of life and nourishment. This same story now ends with abundant harvest and a miraculous son whose grandson would put an end to the time of the judges once and for all by becoming a king. So this redemption story of Ruth ends with an incredible promise of what's to come. It ends with an incredible promise of what's to come. So thirdly and finally this morning, redemption points to a greater redeemer. Redemption points to a greater redeemer. Look at verse 18. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. 
Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Now, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Matthew 1, verse 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called a Christ. Students, through this lineage, of covenant faithfulness and God's promise, we get Jesus. Make no mistake. When you read in your Bibles lists of names and you're thinking, why is this in here? Why do I have to learn how to read Zerubbabel or Shealtiel or Zadok? Right? Why, why do we need this? It's because it reminds us that each one of these people was a sinner who did not want to be faithful to God. They were born in iniquity. They were born not loving the things of God, not wanting to follow him, not wanting to be faithful to him, not wanting to be used by him. And yet through God's sovereign decree, his faithfulness to his own promise and his commitment to keep his covenant, he has worked all things together to bring about his purposes that culminate in Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Without Elimelech coming to Moab with his family, without them escaping God's judgment, Ruth would not have found her way to Bethlehem. And we wouldn't have had Obed, and we wouldn't have had Jesse, and we wouldn't have had David, and on and on we go, and we wouldn't have had Jesus. So it's through this lineage it's through these genealogies we see over and over that God is faithful to provide a greater redeemer. Because Jesus, like Boaz, also paid a great cost for redemption. The ransom price was his own life, bearing the wrath of God because the debt of sin we owed and the wrath of God pointed at us demanded payment that we can never ever afford. 
And like Ruth, we as sinners were destined to be lost, helpless, and hopeless foreigners who had nothing to speak of. Like Naomi, we were to be emptied and displaced, suffering the judgment of our disobedience and sin. We would be left bitter. But there was a kinsman redeemer close by. This Jesus, fully God and fully man, came to redeem us from the curse of the law because he is our kinsman. He is like us in every way. And because that price was paid, because Jesus counted the cost and chose to redeem us, we now enjoy the blessings of redemption. We get to enjoy the blessings of salvation. We have new life in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. We've been given new hearts and we've been adopted into his family. We're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We're united to him by faith. We're justified before the throne of God. We've been sanctified and set apart for good works that God has prepared beforehand. On and on and on we could go. And the promise that when he returns, we will be with him in glory. This redemption of Ruth, the story, the book of Ruth, God's covenant faithfulness to Naomi Boaz is counting the cost in redeeming. All of these things point us to a greater redeemer. All of this points us to our savior. And so my hope for you is that you think about the book of Ruth and it would remind you of the good news of the gospel. Like those disciples on the road to Emmaus who may have never put those things together after, until Jesus told them, you might now think of the book of Ruth and say, I'm enjoying the blessings of the work of my kinsman redeemer. He counted the cost for me. and He thought it was worth it. He gave his life so that I might enjoy the blessings of his redemption. That's why we're here. That's the life we now live as the people of God. We are now the redeemed sons and daughters of the redeemer. Let's pray. God in heaven, we are grateful that you have redeemed us that you have transferred us from darkness into the kingdom of your beloved son, that you've redeemed us from the curse of the law by bearing our debt, by paying it on the cross, by finishing it all and saying, there's nothing left for us but blessing. So Lord, I thank you for the book of Ruth. I thank you for the Characters that we see who model faithfulness to you. I thank you that we see in this story that sufferings come, trials come, hardships come, and that we are sinners in desperate need of a Redeemer, one who is strong and mighty and good and faithful. And Lord, you have provided that for us in your Son. So Lord, we praise you and we thank you. We pray that you might help us by your spirit to have good, godly, profitable conversation about this sermon this morning. We ask in Christ's name, amen.